Well, I have the privilege this morning to introduce uh, just an amazing man. He's a man of God. Um, he was already up here on the stage. He's catching his breath back down there. I joked with him this, this whole week and said that he's the one-man army this week. Um, he's out here already. But he's going to bring us a great word from God. It's, it's going to be awesome. I, I know he's giving me a little preview of his notes, but um, Philip Schaefer, let's give him a hand. Thank you. Thank you. Whew. I'm tired. Um, I'm still catching my breath. I'll probably be catching my breath for the entire sermon, but uh, hopefully, um, since God is real and he's alive, I'll, I'll make it through. Amen. Well, we're going to continue our series this weekend. I'm so excited to continue our series in Proverbs this weekend. And I'm also very intimidated by the task at hand because I have to preach on pride versus humility. And it's intimidating to get up in front of your church, especially a, a church that's still as small as we are, but growing very quickly, and speak on pride and humility as if, like, I would have something to say about that. See, I'm, I'm 27 years old, and I've been intentionally attacking my pride for about 10 years or so, and that might sound like a long time, but the fact of the matter is, I still have a lot of pride left in my heart. I, I need to work on most of what I'm going to talk about today. My parents are here. They can tell you. <laughs> there, yeah, I was waiting. I was waiting for, I could hear mom for sure. Um, my closest friends are here from the front to the back. I know many of you. You guys could tell anyone. And my wife especially, she could tell you how much pride I still have in my life. But they could also tell you by the grace of God how much humility I'm starting to replace that pride with. By the grace of God, nothing else. You see, I think it was late high school maybe, and if this is completely false, mom and dad, I'm so sorry, but it works for the message. So <laughs> it was about junior year of high school, I think, when my parents started giving me subtle hints about my pride and gave me this book. And I know we don't have live camera feed yet, so you can't see it. I'll get it as close to you as I can. From Pride to Humility by Dr. Stuart Scott. A biblical perspective. It's about five bucks on Amazon right now. It's about 25 pages long. Most of you could read it in less than a half hour. And I've read this book many times since they gave it to me. It's been, in fact, it's been so instrumental. It's jam-packed with scripture. It's so short and concise, and it just gets right to the heart of the matter. Here's what pride is. Here's what humility is. And here's how you get from pride to humility. And it was so powerful in my life that it's, I've leveraged most of the heavy lifting that Dr. Scott did in this book for my sermon. And I did use the Bible too. So, I mean, I'm just for those that are concerned, wow, I need to be careful. Um, <laughs> And see, I believe, that, I believe that I can use this book to write a sermon because I believe that God spoke to Stuart Scott when he wrote this book, and I believe that he was speak, speaking to me when I prepared using this book and this book, and I believe that he wants to speak to all of us right now. So are you ready? Let me hear it. Okay. Yes. So very quickly, you guys, I want to be as practical as possible today. So I'm going to just go as briefly as I can, which for me is, you know, forever. But... <laughs> Uh, 
just go through the biblical perspective on pride and humility. And here's why I don't need to spend too much time on it, because I don't think we have too much to argue about. Okay, is anybody here thinking, oh, I don't know, pride, you know, it's a good thing, I suppose. And if you are, I'm so glad you're here. You're going to learn a lot today. But what I want to do, my goal this weekend is simply to get us to start. If I can just get you to start changing the way you think about pride and humility, Romans 12, 2 says that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Amen. Okay, so let's get, let's get going. Pride first. Here's the deal, you guys. God hates pride. He hates pride. And, and how do I know this? Proverbs 16.5, the first verse I have for you this morning. Proverbs 16.5, everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. Case closed. Okay, done. Let's leave. Pride, God hates pride. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be an abomination to the Lord. I don't, I don't know what that looks like. I don't want to find out. Okay. I don't want to be guaranteed of punishment. Heather talked last week in Romans 4 how if we're dishonest, we're storing up punishment for ourselves. Same concept at work here. We're storing up punishment for ourselves. See, guys, can we just all agree that pride is an epidemic? Like, it's everywhere. And as much as we hate to admit it, we all have pride. So the question is not today, do I have pride, but where is it? And how much of it do I have? The question is not, somebody, you guys didn't hear that. The question is not, do I have it, but where is it? And how much of it do I have? Okay? That's what we need to start thinking. Again, changing the way we think about pride. That's what we need to start asking ourselves going forward. And I believe that pride is most evident in childish behavior. And we know this to be true, don't we, parents? We know this to be true. A couple weeks ago, I had the, sorry, Leah, I didn't tell you I was going to tell the story, but um, my wife and I had the incredible privilege to babysit our, our niece, Emerson. She's so beautiful. She's awesome. We have so much fun with her. And she, her mom dropped her off on Sunday. Um, morning before church, I was eating breakfast. Becca was getting ready. And we kind of set her down in the kitchen so she could see both of us. We were talking to her, and we had toys for her to play. And for all I know, she had slept decently through the night, and she had been changed and cleaned and fed, and she was so happy for like 15 minutes. <laughs> and as babies are wont to do, like every baby goes through fits all the time it seems like. And Emerson just freaked out, like just completely lost her mind. Like she looked at both of us and was like, time to freak out. Just completely freaked out. And, we, and we've known her long enough to know that nothing was wrong. She was just being a baby and crying because she, for whatever reason, didn't have what she wanted. And I started to get frustrated. And in that moment, God said, my children do this to me every single day. Think about it. That baby had everything that it didn't even understand how much it had been provided for. An aunt and an uncle that loved it with everything that we had changed, fed, a house, uh, toys to play with, more than she could bite, okay? Like, she had everything and more that she could wanted. And God said to me in that moment, I almost heard him. I turned around, kind of like what the story you had in the kitchen as I was annoyed at my niece crying and crying and crying. We have the audacity to show up to a church like this 
In a building like this, in a country like this, we have access to health care. And I know it's expensive, but we have some of the best health care the world has ever seen. We, ha- we actually know what insurance is, you guys. You can complain all you want about your premiums and your deductibles and all that stuff. I don't understand it. But we have insurance. There's, most of the people in the world have never heard of insurance, okay? We have multiple Bibles. I have an iPad by the grace of God for my notes. I love this thing. I have an iPhone. We have cars, multiple cars, big houses, all of this money, and we have the audacity every single day to shake our fist at God and say, I want more. You didn't give it to me fast enough. It's not the way that I planned it to be. And God's looking down at you and he sees the same freaking out child. That's pride. Pride is most evident in childish behavior. Paul, can you please, my friend Paul, everybody give him a hand. Yes. Yes, happy birthday, Paul. We're not going to sing to you right now. I don't have nearly enough time to fit that in. So as I was studying pride, in the Old Testament alone, the Hebrews used six different words to describe pride, and they were broken up into two different groups. And I'm only going to talk about one. Don't have time. I'm only going to talk about one. And it carries with us this idea of straining one's neck as if to elevate oneself above someone else. Now, let's get close so they can really see this. Okay, Paul and I are about the same height. I don't know if you can tell who's taller from where you're at. We don't really care. We're adults. Like, it doesn't matter who's taller. Okay. But remember, see, you're laughing because remember, remember when we were kids, or you've seen your kids do it, I'm sure. Remember when we were kind of like, Dad, Mom, like, who's taller? And like, we're, we're, you can see like stretching the neck. Yeah, that, that measurement, that measurement method. I'm, as an engineer, just oh gosh, I can't handle it. Like, and they'll even like if they try to be really careful, they'll like sneak up on the tippy toes, right? And thanks, man. That's all I need. <laughs> Isn't that, re- but it, that's funny, but isn't that ridiculous? Like, seriously, who cares? Like, it doesn't matter who's taller. And again, God said to me, my children do this to me all the time, and Christians are the best at this. Because they may not say it out loud, they may, but they're definitely thinking it. God, look, what, look how much I serve. Look, 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 look how much I give. I show up early and I help set up the chairs and then I go serve in the baby's room and no one serves in the baby's room. I serve on t- multiple teams every weekend and I pray all the time and I read your Bible all the time. And God's up there in his infinite holiness, infinite righteousness, infinite love and he's saying, my child. It doesn't matter because no matter how tall you are in your mind or in every, and maybe in someone else's mind, there are compelling leaders in the church today that are doing amazing things for the kingdom. But no matter how tall we seem in human eyes, God is so infinitely beyond that. The standard is so infinitely beyond that that he, he can't tell who's taller. He doesn't see us that way. And you need to stop looking at yourselves and each other that way too. I'm preaching good. I, I know I am, but, it's, but see, I knew this was going to happen. It's tough to talk about pride. So you say, okay, Phil, that's great. Like six words in Hebrew for pride. Okay, fine. Well, but I'm a person, okay? Let's, let's talk about people for a second. Fine, let's talk about people. Every single biblical character that had a downfall in the Bible, 
the downfall was directly related to a lost battle with pride. Let's start in the very beginning. Lucifer, he was the head worship leader in heaven and he let his pride get in the way and he became Satan. How about Pharaoh during the time of Moses? Most of the kings of Israel, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, Belshazzar, in Babylon, King Herod in the time of Jesus, and even, how about this, guys, a church leader, a pastor, the Pharisee in Luke 18, who only prayed for himself and out loud so everyone could hear him. A church leader, and these were leaders. Most of the, That's the scary part is most of the people I see in Scripture, they were leaders and they had downfall. If you're a leader of something, if you're a leader in this church, that's me. If you're a leader at home, dads. If you are a leader at work, managers, CEOs, whatever it is, you're a little more susceptible to pride because of the position that you have, and Satan's going to definitely attack you. But it's not really about how susceptible you are to pride because of your position. It's the destruction that follows when you have so many people following you, right? We, we all knew I was going to get to this first, didn't we? Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. John Calvin said very succinctly, pride is the enemy of hope. Okay, John Calvin's not God, but he's right. Pride is the enemy of hope. And here at Church 214, you know those three statements that we've committed to being as a church, equipped in faith, encouraged to hope, that second one. Okay, if we're going to encourage people to hope, then we as a church, not just the leadership, but everybody else in the seats, needs to be very careful to check our pride at the door every single time we walk through those doors. Because we are not going to make it as a church if pride wins. We're not. Pride is the enemy of hope. I believe with all my heart that that's true. And Thomas Watson says pride is a spiritual drunkenness. It flies up like wine into the brain and intoxicates it. It is idolatry. A proud man, here, check, check this out, is a self-worshipper. If you don't write anything else down, write this one thing down. A proud man or woman is a self-worshipper. And as a worship leader, whenever... I hear the word worship, I have to stop and pay attention. And those of you who are not worship leaders up on stage with musical talent are not exempt. I need to, and I need to talk to the dads for a second, and I'm sorry that I'm not a dad yet, but I'm not called to be a professional dad in this moment. I'm simply called to obey and speak the truth. You see, we're all commanded to be worship leaders, everybody. We're all commanded to be worship leaders in the seats, especially the dads. Leading, leading your families in worship has zero, guys. It has zero to do with your ability to lead the songs. It has everything to do with your attitude towards God at all times. And if your attitude towards God is in the right place, it will show on the outside, okay? It will show on the outside. You see, worship is reserved for God alone. We all know this to be true. But if pride equals self-worship, we have a problem, don't we? There's a conflict. And if we're too busy worshiping ourselves... If we're too busy serving ourselves, don't expect good results. Don't expect your spouse to love you and respect you in the way that you want to be loved and respected. Don't expect your kids to listen to you and obey, to you, obey you and respect you the way you want to be. Why? They will be too busy 
worshiping themselves because you taught them. You taught them. You're the dad. You're the leader. You modeled it for them. You model self-worship. That's what they're going to do. Pride is an issue for everyone. Okay, nobody's off the hook here. But dads, you are called by God himself to lead your families, and that means we must lead in humility, not pride. So that's pride. We still feeling good? (laughs) It's okay if you're not. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. But don't worry, there's all kinds of hope. So humility, very quickly. Humility is rare because it is unnatural to us, okay? We are born with a sin nature. We are born with pride in our hearts. So humility is a learned behavior. It is not an inherent behavior. We must learn humility. And only a Christ follower with the Holy Spirit in his or her heart can hope to learn genuine humility. And of course, the greatest example of humility is Jesus, right? Philippians 2, 6 through 8. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We see the greatest example of Jesus' humility in his death on the cross, and you know, since none of us are, can hope to be as good as Jesus, let's take a more practical example of humility. We see this in other places in the scripture as well. My personal favorite is the tax collector opposite the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18. And his prayer in verse 13 of chapter 18 has been huge. His example was probably the single most important example in my life from the Bible as I was, began dealing with my own pride 10 years ago. You see, in Luke 18, Jesus comes to the temple and his disciples are with him. And the Pharisee, one of the pastors, right, is in his special clothes. And he's walking around, straining his neck, as it were, to elevate himself above everyone else. And he's praying very loudly and very ornately so everyone can hear how awesome he is and how righteous he is. And he's even praying out loud and comparing himself out loud to the people that are around him, the tax collector being one of them. So, so right off the bat, the guy's not a very good pastor as as far as Jesus defines it, right? He's out loud comparing himself to other people in prayer to God. That's I'm sure God's not really hearing that, okay? And then we have the tax collector who, rather than parade around himself, he stands off in the corner and he's so ashamed that he can't even lift his eyes up to heaven, which is honestly the posture we should all have he beats his chest and he says very simply god be merciful to me for i am a sinful man some of you you don't know where to start you got to start right there luke 18 13 you just start praying that prayer till you can't pray it anymore and i promise you you will start down the road to humility and jesus was there he saw the pharisee and he saw the tax collector and he said you guys The tax collector is the righteous one. God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinful man. Humble people 
we know this to be true, guys. Humble people are focused on God and others. Okay? They have no need to elevate themselves because they know that they have been forgiven and that God's love has been undeservedly and irrevocably set on them. Okay? They, didn't, they didn't get anything. They didn't do anything to get it. It's been set on them. Instead, a humble person's goal, guys, listen, a humble person's goal is to elevate God and encourage others, equip others, empower others. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Okay, does that sound familiar to anybody? So again, if we're going to do, if we're going to be anything close to what we say we're going to be as a church on the website, on our cards, whatever it is, equipped in faith, encouraged in hope, empowered in love, we can wrap all that up into one word and one character trait, and it's humility. Really. Church 214, humility. <laughs> if we ever need to go through like a simplification campaign, we'll just put humility at the at the bottom. So I want to get like I said I, that took super long but I want to get to the really practical part here. So the book <laughs> the book um if you if you decide to buy it and read it, you will find 30 specific manifestations of pride with biblical references in this book and 24 for humility. Um obviously I don't have time to cover 30 for pride and 24 for humility. So what I did was I tried to condense them and combine them and summarize them, and I just picked four that I want to go over here. And I chose these four because I felt as as I was preparing that God was leading me very clearly to choose these four because there's there's subtle forms of pride that we most of the time as Christians don't ever even associate with sin, to be brutally honest, and we need to start changing that. So the first one, number one, and don't try to write this whole thing down. Um, I'll give you a shorter version. Number one, inf- an inflated view of your importance, spiritual gifts, or abilities versus an accurate view. S- more simply, inflated view versus accurate view. A prideful person in, with this area of their lives is either going to trend towards arrogance or self-pity, and they're both, fr- both pride. How do I know that? An arrogant person is going to... An arrogant person is going to like I was talking about earlier, is going to be straining their neck saying, God, look how much I give. Look how much I serve. Look, about, look at me. Look, look, look how much I'm doing compared to all these other people. And for those people, I would ask you very simply, what do you have that God hasn't given you? All the gifts that you have, God gave you. And on top of that, all the opportunities, all the doors that were open for you to use those gifts, he was on the other side and opened the door so you could go through. Okay. So what do you have that God hasn't given you? Your gifts and the opportunities to use those gifts. He gave them both to you. You have nothing without him. And lest we think that a, an outward look of what seems to be outwardly humble, these people that when it comes to their spiritual gifts, they'll compare themselves to other people and they'll say, man, look how gifted that person is. I just, I don't, man, I don't have any of that. I'm... I don't have anything to offer, and I'm just going to, woe is me, blah, blah, blah. And you have also, this is the worst part, you have a tendency to bring everybody else down because you have to make sure that everybody else knows that you don't have anything to offer. So you just waste air, space, and you quite honestly uh, detest God when you do that. Because it's the same, same as the arrogant one because, again, self-pity is self-serving, which is pride, because you want people to feel bad for you because you don't have anything to offer, apparently, and you don't even make an attempt 
to use the gifts that God has given you, to take advantage of the opportunities that he has given you. And for those people, I would say simply this. You don't need, some people might be tempted to think, well, that person has a very low opinion of themselves. They might need a little bit more pride or a little bit more self-esteem. And let me tell you, you don't need more pride. You don't need more self-esteem. What you need is a more accurate understanding of your identity in Jesus. Let me say that one more time. You need a more accurate understanding of your identity in Jesus because, and we could do a whole series on this, and I'm sure we will at some point, Heather, take notes, but, but when we begin to understand our position in Jesus and take action from that position, only then will we start to get out of our own way so that God can work through us to work miracles in his kingdom. Did, any, did you hear that? Okay. When we start to get out of our own way, only by humility, when we start to get out of our own way, it's only then that God can work through us and work miracles for his kingdom. And it's not anything we've done. It's him 1,000%. Number two, this is going to hurt a lot of people, perfectionism versus contentment. I heard an audible groan, I think. (laughs) So, perfectionism. Again, sort of two routes you can take here. You're either going to do it for recognition from other people. Oh, man, you you just have everything together. You're, You're so awesome. Nothing is out of place. Or you're going to do it sort of privately for your own so for your own feelings, so you can feel better about yourself and feel as if you have everything together. And for either way, same response I have for you. Here's the deal. You'll always be unhappy. Perfectionist, you'll always be unhappy because your goal will never be reached. You're not perfect. You know you're not perfect. Or so your, your goal's never going to be reached. Or more accurately... Your idol will never be appeased. It's an idol. Okay? And then, so the perfectionist, oh, what about contentment? Well, the perfectionist will say, well, those content people, they just throw standards out the window, and they don't care how things look, and they don't care how professional things are, and on and on and on. And, and I don't think that's true humility either. I really don't. Because I don't think God calls us to just be slobs with his kingdom. Okay? Humble people, this is true humility, and, and I passionately believe this. If you, don't, if you disagree, you can email the church. We'll, we would love to talk to you. Here's the thing. Humble people are going to strive for excellence, the utmost excellence, with everything they have, to the glory of God, and for the benefit of others. Okay? To the glory of God and for the benefit of others. And I'm telling you, if you do this, you will have more contentment than you can possibly imagine because you will be exhausted at the end of every day knowing that you gave everything at the altar for him. Number three, this is going to hurt. If you didn't get hurt by the first two, you're dead on this one. And, I, and this is me right here. Uh, talking too much versus being a good listener, and I am terrible at this. Mom, let me hear the laughter. Come on, thank you. Okay. <laughs> Um, Becca, obviously, my wife, she knows I talk too much. Um, here's the deal. Proverbs 10, 19 in the New Living Translation, I love this one. Too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. Ooh. All right? So, again, we, we all know how destructive our words can be, right? 
So it follows then that the more we talk, the more likely we are to put our foot in our mouths. Okay? And I like to look at it this way. The more we talk, the less we learn. And I love to, I love to learn things. You don't have to be a lifelong learner, but here's the deal. You should be. Mike Crowley, I know, is just loving this right now. Um, the more you talk, the less you learn. Okay, James 1.19 says, be quick to hear and slow to speak. So let me put it to you this way. Do you want to change somebody's life? Learn to listen to them. Do you want to change your own life? Let's be selfish for a little bit. You want to change your own life? Learn to listen. Okay, learning is the best. You, you want the wisdom that Mike talked about two weeks ago? You better learn to listen. Learn to listen. Listening is the best learning tool that we have. The creator of the universe, the keeper of all wisdom and knowledge is is up there in heaven and he's all around us by the power of his Holy Spirit and he's speaking to us every second of every single day. The question is, are you listening to him? You want to learn something, you got to listen. And number four, you're super dead on this one if you didn't get the first three. (laughs) Fighting for control, lack of submission to authority, an unteachable spirit. Versus being, and I'll just shorten it. So I'll, I'll just shorten it to unteachable versus teachable. Prideful people in this area, unteachable people are difficult to work with, and we know this because they have to be their own boss. They don't need anyone. They shun accountability. Proverbs 13.10 says, A wise son hears his father's instruction. Okay, it says hears. It doesn't say hears and then offers a bunch of rationalizations for his behavior says, hears. Proverbs 19.20. I love this one too. Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom that Mike talked about two weeks ago in the future. It says, listen and accept. It doesn't say listen and accept and then negotiate, rationalize, justify my behavior. It says, listen and accept. It's done. And this is so hard for us, right? Because once we decide to become teachable, Once we decide to become teachable, we open ourselves up to have our feelings hurt, right? Because what we're saying is, God, I need you to teach me. That's going to hurt. We're saying to our close friends, I need you to teach me. And that means sometimes they're going to bring feedback and it's going to hurt our pride. Okay? But I've read the Bible from the front to the back. And I know I've read this verse before. And for some reason, this preparing for this sermon, I, it, this verse jumped out at me for the first time. God, God is real, and he speaks to us differently throughout our entire lives. This one, we got to take, everyone needs to take with us. Proverbs 27, 6, faithful, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. So when people in your life, and I have many of these people, my parents, my closest friends, my wife, they've wounded me so many times. And it used to hurt a lot. But I've asked God for help. And now it still hurts, but it doesn't hurt nearly as bad as it used to. And the same is true for you. That's called becoming, you're becoming a teachable servant of Jesus. You get a little bit of pain tolerance. And, again, we need to change how we think about this. Your friends 
they love you enough to tell you when you need help? They're not trying to hurt you. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. They're being faithful to you. That's how we need to think about it from now on. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. And as far as authority goes, we are to gladly submit to authority over us. And those of us that are leaders are called to lead in humility, both in the church, that this applies to church, families, work, you name it. But let's just talk about church because we're in church. Guys, imagine for a second the damage this church could do if the leaders are leading in humility and the people underneath that leadership are humbly submitting to that leadership. Doesn't mean we're always right. Doesn't mean you never bring up concerns, but humility overflowing from top to bottom. Now, I don't, I don't know this for a fact, but I believe this. That is what Satan calls a dangerous church. That's what Satan calls a dangerous church. The gates of hell cannot stand against that church, okay? Because if we're overflowing with humility from the front to the back, from the top to the bottom, from side to side, that church is going to storm the gates of hell because Jesus will be leading it from the front. Everyone else will have gotten out of the way. Imagine the damage this church could do if we're just overflowing with humility all over the place. Very quickly, how do we get from pride to humility? You say, Phil, that's great now that we know what it looks like, but how do we get there? Number one is always pray to God for help. Luke 18, 13, have mercy on me, a sinful man. Number two, read the Psalms and the prophets to gain a high view of God and a proper view of yourself. Again, renewing your mind. You're not going to renew your mind if you don't read this book. You're not. And books like this one too. Study the Gospels, right? Jesus is the ultimate example of humility. Number, that was number three. Number four, ask others you trust to give you honest feedback. Remember, Proverbs 27, 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Number five, I love this one, spend lots of time worshiping God. When you focus on him, you will begin to think less and less and less about yourself. And number six, start small. <laughs> Work on our thoughts first. Remember I said at the beginning, we have to change the way we think, be transformed by the renewing of our minds. We have to change how we think first. When we do that, it will then start to change how we communicate. And when we change how we communicate, eventually it's going to change our actions. Because humility is a lifestyle. In fact, I think it's the lifestyle that God has called us to. And I know that because of, look, look at Jesus' life. That whole thing, the whole life of his detailed in the Gospels is humility. I'll leave you with this. Humility is a two-way street from me to you and from you to me. Not a give-and-take relationship, but a give-and-receive relationship. It's also a two-way street from Jesus to you and you to Jesus. See, Jesus was humble enough to submit to the authority of God the Father, right? Philippians 2, 6-8. He was humble enough to give his life for you. So the question is, are you humble enough to devote your life to him? And we need to look no further than the life of Jesus himself 
to see what that looks like. You see, God, God didn't just call Jesus to die on the cross for our sins so that we could be saved. If that was true, we would never have written the Gospels. It just would have been birthed by the Virgin Mary, by the power of the Holy Spirit, live a sinless life, death, it's over, we're all good. But God called him to ministry before his death. That's why the Gospels were written. And so he obeyed. He preached the good news. And he healed the sick and he made the lame walk and the blind to see and the deaf to hear. And he empowered his children by giving us the Holy Spirit to carry on the mission that he started. That's why the church exists. You guys, that's why the church exists. Because Jesus did all those things and said, go and do the same. Which sounds like an impossible task, doesn't it? until you remember that he also said, I will be with you always. So church, let's go and do the same in humility, not pride. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We are in awe of your holiness. We are in awe of your goodness, your humility, the ultimate example of humility. You obeyed, you came and died so that we could have life and have it abundantly. You also called us to ministry and you called us to carry on the mission that you started. And God, start changing the way we think. Start renewing our minds. God, we need help. We need so much help. Because as a church, we're on our knees available as humbly as we can asking that you would just do what you want to in this city. And God, the fact that we get to be a part of it at all is just icing on the cake. So instill in us a spirit of humility. Instill in us an understanding, a knowledge, a security, knowing that when we give up everything for you, we give up control of everything to you, that only then will we get out of our own way and will you start to work miracles through us in this kingdom as individuals and especially as a church. And that's going to be a very fun place to be. That blessing will be more than we can imagine, God. So going forward from this morning, God, start ripping the pride out of our lives and replace it with humility in the way that only you can, knowing that the work that you have started in us will be complete. In Jesus' name, amen.